Hi, I'm Tom Philp. Welcome back to Trauma-Free Relationship. If you are joining us for the first time, we would love for you to tune in, whether you're following us on our podcast or here on our YouTube channel. Be sure and hit the follow as well as the bell notification so you get a notice when new episodes come out. We'd love for you to join us as we continue our journey on looking at relationships through a lens of trauma. Since so many couples that I work with have one or the other partners experienced trauma, either within that relationship or in the past before they entered into the relationship. I was noticing how important it is to help couples work through their trauma because it became a block, a consistent block for them to be able to kind of get the relationship and create the relationship that they really want for one another. A sense of safety and security they want. Trauma really disrupts that. So, so much of my effort here is trying to explore that uh, through these different mediums and so that uh, I can reach out and help a lot more people than just those that I'm seeing on my, my couch each week. Uh, so if you're joining us, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. Today, I wanna talk about four post-traumatic growth tools. And so I talk a lot about tools uh, that couples can use, but I don't know that I've packaged them quite in this way before. Um, Oftentimes they come up in the context of what we're discussing uh, with my couples, but it, it dawned on me that I'm able to really lay out four what I think are our primary tools to help individuals and or couples really grow past their traumas and their traumas reactions. So for those who have suffered more than most, for those who have, have had trauma in their past, these are four tools that I end up trying to teach as well as um, uh, uh, develop within the couples that I work with. So we're going to launch in and talk about four post-traumatic growth tools. All right, the first one I want to talk about is empathy. And I cannot understate this enough. Empathy, 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 I talk about it all the time. It is probably the single biggest tool that couples have that help them foster the kind of relationship that creates more safety, more security, more well-being, more resilience, deeper connection, all the things that we want when we get into a relationship, so much of it is fostered through the tool of empathy. And and, and, and true to form, that means that the converse is true as well, meaning that a lot of the arguments and a lot of the ruptures that occur in relationships are through empathic failures, the inability to step into our partner's shoes, to understand their perspective, to understand where they're coming from. It feels weird. It feels foreign to us. And there's all kinds of blocks that can come up to do that. But oftentimes it is empathic failures that create distance as well as as conflict within couples. So empathy is just so important 
And at the risk of repeating myself too many times, empathy, empathy, empathy is is the bedrock of a safe, secure relationship. So I want to dispel a couple of myths around empathy. First of all, empathy is not sympathy. Sympathy is feeling bad for someone. Empathy is feeling with someone. It is the ability to feel into the the life of another person, to understand their emotional experience, to understand their cognitive experience. And essentially, there's colloquialisms we use, right? To put yourself in somebody else's shoes, to see through somebody else's eyes. Those are a lot of phrases that we use in culture, but we're really talking about empathy when we talk about that. Can we can we suspend our own experience long enough to be able to step into our partner's shoes and understand their experience of the relationship through their eyes? And so empathy is different than sympathy. Sympathy is standing outside their perspective and feeling bad for somebody. And, and there's certainly a place for that. Um, compassion is feeling sympathy combined with the willingness to help to do something combined with an action. So sympathy is very important, but it's not the same as empathy. Uh, Sympathy, we can feel bad for somebody. We can even be compelled to take action to help them, but it doesn't mean that we necessarily understand it from within their perspective. But empathy does. Empathy is understanding it from within our partner's perspective. And what that also means is that With empathy, we can hold two perspectives together simultaneously in tandem. So if I'm empathizing with my partner, if I can understand their perspective, it doesn't mean I give up my perspective. It doesn't mean that my perspective is not as valuable or not as worthy as my partner's. And I think this is a big misnomer around empathy itself. Empathy doesn't mean that we accept somebody else's reality and we deny ours. It simply means that we can hold both of them simultaneously. Now, that's not always easy to do because everything seems to exist on an either-or basis so much in our culture. You either accept this truth or you accept that one. And and that's not the case with empathy. Empathy isn't either-or. Empathy is both and. I can accept your reality and understand it, and I can accept mine and understand my truth as well. And so that that means that we can't fall into easy dichotomous thinking of the either or. We have to be able to challenge ourselves to go, okay, I know the way I feel. I know my perspective. Now let me let me bracket this for a minute. Let me set this aside for just a second and let me see if I can understand my partner's perspective as well. Because Often what I see is couples are trying to solve a problem in their relationship is they want to put the cart before the horse. They want to get into a conversation and immediately push for some kind of of solution or resolution before they have a deep understanding of each other's perspectives. And what I often see is that doesn't work for couples because one partner is not going to find a solution that seems right or seems to fit before they feel understood. So I often tell my couples, look, you can't put the cart before the horse. The first goal of conversation 
is to have empathy for each other's perspectives, to understand that. And then what I so often see is that once the couple begins to really understand each other better, then a solution organically emerges out of that. A solution can rise out of that relationship that neither partner prior to the empathy could have seen or come up with on their own. Because now they have shifted enough of a perspective, not only of their own to include their partners, but maybe they're just even looking at it differently, that now a solution can emerge. So empathy, I, I think, is absolutely crucial in relationships. And I, I talk about this probably ad nauseum with a lot of my couples, but I really do think it is so very important. So that's the first growth tool. Challenge yourself to understand other people's perspectives, to be able to step into their shoes. Now, we, we have empathy because most often we have been given empathy, often through our development, uh, with our family, they have demonstrated and modeled that to us. I understand that not everybody has that. Some people struggle with empathy. Some people are locked in sort of their own uh, uh, bubble, if you will, that empathy is hard for them. So as I challenge you, I'm aware that, that it's not something that naturally occurs in everybody. It is a skill that can be learned, and it is a skill that can be worked on and taught. Usually, it is demonstrated to us, and that's how we pick it up. But that's not often the case, especially if we've had some childhood trauma. Then maybe the adults in our lives weren't very empathic towards us, and we learned that that just wasn't a skill we had in our repertoire. So as such, Consider reading uh, books, um, not uh, narratives. Uh, oftentimes, fiction can be a great uh, source of learning how to build empathy because you're immersing yourselves into characters. If you watch movies, think about think about the characters of each movie, not just the plot point, but what is this character really about? What's driving this character? What's what's the backstory? Actors are great about this. Actors often do this as they're trying to develop their character. They, they have the script, which is actually the plot, but the story is everything that happens before the script and everything that happens after that script. Uh, I'm, I'm speaking from a cinema perspective here. Um, and so oftentimes actors will will take the script and look at their character and then try to imagine what was what's this character's motivation what what happened to this character before uh, this particular plot that we're going to be making this movie out of before this script was handed to me what kind of experiences does this character have so you can do the same thing when you're watching movies when you're reading books and that helps you try to build empathy so if that's something that you find lacking for you, there's a couple of examples about ways that I, I think could really help build empathy. It's a matter of getting curious about what makes this person tick, what, what really drives this person, and being able to understand that. So empathy is extremely important, and it's an extremely important post-traumatic growth tool as well, because the better you can flex that muscle, that empathy muscle, the, the stronger it gets, the more you're going to be able to understand your partner, the more you're going to be able to step into their shoes, and vice versa, the more they're going to be able to understand you at a deeper level as well. 
So the first post-traumatic growth tool is empathy. Uh, tool number two, self-reflection. Now, one of the things that trauma disrupts is our ability to be able to reflect on our ourself, reflect on our own feelings, reflect on our own thoughts. Uh, sometimes we call this metacognition or, or meta-affect, uh, affect being feeling, meaning that we think about the way we think and we think about the way we feel. And so we're, we're essentially just self-reflecting. I, th I think all of us do this to some degree, but, but for those who've, who've suffered more than most with trauma, uh, their ability can be very disrupted. So being able to, again, increase this tool to self-reflect, to understand, oh, that, that interaction with my partner didn't go the way I wanted it to, what could I have done differently? Could I have rephrased some things? Could I have thought or communicated better my feelings? Uh, did I make sense of my feelings well enough before I spoke about it? Uh, did I, was I able to communicate clearly what I was needing from my partner? And so the ability to, to reflect on who we are, what we feel, to put our feelings into words, again, can be disrupted by a lot of trauma. So with that self-reflection, though, I want you to focus on four particular things. Uh, I want you to focus on triggers. Do you know your triggers? Do you know what sets you off? What oftentimes triggers a traumatic response inside of you? So if you don't know your triggers, then you are always going to be subject to the kind of surprise that triggers can bring on. If you know your triggers better, if you know it's a certain tone of voice or a look in your partner's eyes or a word that your partner says, um, then or, or a thought even within yourself that, that you tend to repeatedly go to when you're facing some kind of a stressful situation. Knowing those triggers are gonna be very, very helpful and you being able to, to control a little bit better your world. And I use that usually. I don't mean to that, that you need to be controlling of everything in your environment. That's not possible. Uh, it's it's what, how we respond to what happened to us happens to us way more than than us trying to control what happens to us in, in our world. But knowing your triggers can get you much further down the road in being able to prepare yourself if you're going into a triggering situation. Uh, and a classic example would be like a Vietnam veteran who uh, knows they get triggered by cars that backfire because that immediately uh, sends a cascade of, of flashbacks uh, through their amygdala area where they feel like they are re-experiencing that, that gunfire and that trauma over and over and over. So as you're self-reflecting, think about what are my triggers? Do I really understand my triggers? Did, did my partner just trigger something in me? And if so, what was that trigger? What was it that really set me off? The second thing that I need you to reflect on is the embodied emotions that come up for you when you get triggered. Now, notice that I didn't say just feelings or emotions, I said embodied. Because what we want you to be able to do is to be able to feel within your body what gets triggered. 
does 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 it settle in my chest where it gets really tight and feels constricted and feels like I can't breathe? Does it settle in my stomach where all of a sudden I'm just almost nauseous because I have been triggered? Uh, does it feel like all of a sudden I have a weight sitting on both my shoulders and I just I, it compresses me down almost? Knowing how your triggers get enacted, uh, reenacted, if you will in your body and the emotion that comes up for you is this a deep sense of sadness that settles in does it feel like a deep sense of loneliness and that nobody in the world could possibly understand you so how exactly do your triggers get embodied in the form of emotions inside you now the third thing i want you to reflect on and we're still talking about number two here self-reflection is the meaning that you draw behind that embodied emotion. So what are the related meanings that come up for you? Those meanings might be, I'm never worthy of love. Those meanings might be, I'm always rejected. Those meanings might be, I'm never good enough or I'm not deserving of love. Uh, it could be, how come I can't get anybody to respond to me? Why is it so hard? Why am I always ignored? I feel like a ghost. I can't ever get anybody to understand what I'm going through and, and what I'm feeling in these moments. So whatever that related meaning is, is very important as well. So as you're self-reflecting, we want to know three things so far. Your triggers, your embodied emotions, the related meanings, and then finally the fourth part of this is your protection. When you get triggered, you naturally go into a self-protective stance. We get defensive. Okay, the third uh, post-traumatic growth tool that we're talking about is practicing gratitude. Now, this is something that I think sounds simple and sounds easy, but I think is actually has a level of difficulty about it but i have seen it i have seen it create such profound changes in people and that is simple as simply making sure that we get up every day and we practice a sense of gratitude it could be for something small in our life but something that's meaningful to us it could be for some people in our lives but it is a constant attitude and reminder that we take with us every day when we get up and we go about our business and and it begins to sort of pervade the way we see and experience the world it may be that you get up in the morning you come downstairs and you notice something as simple as your partner has made you a cup of coffee or maybe they cleaned the dishes the night before and it meant you didn't have to do it and it could be something as profound as somebody in your life that's investing in you and challenging you and helping you grow and, and become bigger and better and more than you are. But it is, a again, an attitude that we wake up with every single day. Uh, starting a gratitude journal, I think, is great. Could be, could be something formal, like you have a, a, a notebook next to your bed and you journal at night before you go to sleep could be that you wake up in the morning and you have an alarm set on your phone that says be grateful and that's just a reminder oh yeah I'm going to notice three things today in my world in my life that I am grateful for and what I've seen is that that it begins to really as I said before pervade um, and be, become internalized as part of 
how we filter and see uh, our world, uh, how we see our world that is is filled with people that we uh, have relationships with, that we care about, that we know, some we may not know. But nonetheless, it is the ability for us to be able to experience through a screen of something that is more positive for us than just negative. Because often, I think what trauma does is it it tilts the brain towards the negative, often because it wants to protect us from being re-traumatized. And I understand that, and that's only natural for those who have suffered with trauma. But we also have to work to then retrain our brain to see the beauty in life, the beauty in people, the the beauty, even if it's just laughing at our own own foibles sometimes, but the beauty in humanity uh, that still exists. And um, even even in the face of tragedy, there can be there can be people that step up and create some kind of beauty out of that. And being able to notice that I think is very important. And I see in couples that I work with uh, that have experienced trauma, that can be a profound shift in the way they experience their 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 relationship, and though certainly the way they experience their partner too. So that's tool number three: practice gratitude. All right, tool number four, meaningful connections with others. Now, I kind of draw a line here, and I'm talking about two types of connections. First type of connection is transactional connections or transactional relationships. The second kind is transformational relationships. And when I say transformational relationships, I mean that we have a certain number of relationships in our lives that transform who we are. And in turn, we transform them as well. Because fundamentally, the relationship is built on a sense of openness and trust and vulnerability. There needs to be people in your lives that you know, no matter what time or how often the chips are down or your back's against the wall, they will show up for you time and time again. And they they are there to support you. You see love they have for you. Uh, it's not conditional. It is unconditional. And and when they see you, they invest in you. They want to know about you. And you, in turn, are able to be vulnerable and open enough that that they impact you deeply and that you, in turn, impact who they are as well. So that's that's what I mean when we talk about transformational relationships. Having enough people in your life And this may include your partner. I hope it includes your partner. Uh, Because then that means you all have a sense of safety and security within the relationship to transform each other. And that's that's one of the healthy markers uh, of a a healthy relationship. That's one of the markers of a healthy relationship is being able to impact on a profound level each other. And so that doesn't mean that we don't ever have transactional relationships. So what does a transactional relationship look like? It's really based more on what am I getting out of this relationship or what is another person getting out of that relationship than it is kind of any deep fundamental change that's occurring. For example, when I go to the grocery store um, and a, a man or woman is checking me out, I don't need to be impacted profoundly by them, nor vice versa. I just need them to check out my groceries. And we exchange some pleasantries. Hi, how are you today? Did you find everything you needed? Yes, of course. Thank you. And they they scan my items. They bag them up for me. They hand them back. 
I pay, so I get what I need out of that relationship, and they in turn get what they need. They need paying customers so they can do their job and get paid themselves. And there's nothing wrong with those types of relationships. You might have colleagues that are more transactional in nature. Maybe they're in a different department and you talk to them once a week or, or once a month, something like that. So there's no deep quality to it. They, you, it's just an exchange of information or ideas every now and then, and they're pleasant enough. And so it's more transactional in nature. Nothing wrong with that at all. You may have colleagues that you've worked with for many years that have deeply impacted you, and that is more transformational. So when we talk about meaningful connections with others, there need to be a certain number of people in your lives, and I'm going to say at least three or four, that you have a deep, meaningful connection with, that you feel open and vulnerable with, and and seen and heard and understood on a deep level with that person. And then when you're with them, it fundamentally changes some or a part of who you are. And you change them in turn too. And so these types of relationships are profound to have in our lives because what they can do is they can alter that past trauma. They can take parts of ourselves that have been stuck in time or stuck through past trauma and they can begin to slowly alter that for us and create something more healthy, more productive. They can take a liability and make it into an asset in some way through that deep change. And we know this from research and I know this clinically for the last 20 years when I can see couples begin to open themselves up and be vulnerable with one another, I can see how they transform each other's traumas and how they can create something way more profound and more beautiful than they ever could have imagined out of that. So those are our four post-traumatic growth tools. Now, what I would encourage you to do is to pick one and start working on that. Don't try to do all four at one time. We can really only effectively try to change one thing and work on one one part of ourselves at any given time. So start with one of them, whatever one you think you need to work on the most, and challenge yourself over the next few weeks to every day get up and think, what can I do to improve this particular aspect of myself or this aspect of, of my life and my relationships. And then once you feel like you've made some momentum and gotten some headway on one of them, then you can add another one along the way. But these four things I think will deeply impact you and impact your relationships. And I've seen this over and over and over in my clinical work with the brave couples that have come to me um, um, seeking help. And, and empathy, self-reflection, gratitude, and, and a meaningful, deep connection between partners can create tremendous change in the relationship. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time.